just depends how much you, you talk, Bill. You ramble. Oh. Nope. Yeah, then. <laughs> nope. Bear, bearing in mind, today's show is, was pretty much cherry-picked by your good self. <laughs> right. So, uh, I'm assuming you've done a lot of research and homework on all the topics. <laughs> Maximize talk yeah, time. Exactly. I thought this might be an opportunity for Connor and I to just sit back, relax, and just enjoy the show while you just ramble on. So a normal show is what you're saying, right? We'll do another show. Uh, yeah, just, just, we'll just another, another standard, standard show. show. No, it'd be nice. One, one day when you guys yeah. do some research and contribute, maybe we could have a full podcast. That would be That's what the people are looking for. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's nice to, nice to see you guys is what I meant to say. I think I think we are ready to roll, Connor. Yes, sir. Ooh, is that a girl walking in front of you with big hair? No, that's that's a uh, dog buck. Oh, not human not buck. Human buck. Okay, cool. All right, ready. Ready. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of The Roundup, catching up on the weekly headlines, results, and news from the professional tour and soon to be the college squash once the season kicks off. But today, we have a full cast. I'm your host, Connor O'Malley, joined by Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Welcome, guys. Good to see you guys. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good to be back. It's not been not been so long since our last cast. It's good to be back and looking forward to this one, coming into a, a, an interesting phase of the season. Should be a good one. PJ, do you see how patiently Bill waits for you to talk first so that he can go on his ramble? <laughs> I, I, we, I need to get a few words in as quickly as possible because that's pretty much me done until Bill wraps up. Yeah, he, He's very patiently waiting. I know. Oh, yeah, Thank, you, Bill. You, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Go ahead. Right. What do you got in store for us today, Bill? It's nice to be here. Nice to see you guys. Likewise. <laughs> Look, you guys chastise me that I talk too much. I get on the on the WhatsApp messaging apparatus that we communicate on that I talk too much. I've been told that I've picked the topics for this podcast based on my things that I want to talk about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit back and where I can chime in, I will. But otherwise, Connor O'Malley and PJ on Squash Radio. I think that's that. And we'll see what the audience thinks. That's what it's all about. Uh, don't suck. No. Don't salt, Bill. Come on, don't salt. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't be salty, Bill. It's Zero right. to salt. Zero to salt in less than one minute. That's a new. Re- is that a new record? Is no, that? I am. I'm sulk and I'm bitter and I'm passive aggressive. Ever the whole deal, Connor. None of this is a surprise to you. So that's true. That's very I, true. I, yeah, you think I'd learn my lesson? I take criticism so well. That's the. That's really one of my one of my strong characteristics. Feedback. <laughs> Feedback. Feedback. <laughs> Feedback. Exactly. Exactly. No, but we do actually have a good show and it's and you're coming back from Houston where the action was at in on the PSA World Tour. Tell us about that, Bill. How yeah, was Houston it? was fun. This is always my favorite show of the year because it's Houston has just ended. I get to talk about my 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 travels down there, and then the U.S. Open, our favorite event, is coming up. It's a, always a fun show. Yeah, Houston was great. Noir Al Tayeb put on a clinic to win the the title. But as always, my favorite part of Houston is the hospitality that they show me down there. The people of Houston are nothing short of fantastic. The venue is slowly but surely being put into place for the World Junior Championships in July. A lot of construction going. On on down there a lot of new courts being put in some pickleball courts being put in it's amazing to watch it come together piece by piece because when you first walked in on tuesday when i first got there i'm like holy crap this place is a construction zone i probably need a hard hat tv parts laying on the ground 
So picture this, one of those video boards that's made up of six, like 75 inch screen TVs and they're all put together into one. So when yeah. I walked in on Wednesday, those were laying on the ground with every piece of hardware scattered all over the place, people staring at it. And you're like, what, what is, is this? this? Will this be up in time for the Junior Open, for the Junior Worlds in, in next July? Because it would look really cool and there's a big wall space and wow, this is going to be really good for July. Flash forward, next morning I walk in, the TV is up and operating. Wow. It's, wow. it's just everything wow. seems to be last minute, but it, it gets done. It just keeps getting done. So every day I walked in, there was a, like a new, something new had been added to the facility. So just quickly, Bill, I went to a junior JCT event there last year and just trying to explain to me where they've extended to because it was on that kind of industrial estate area. You turn into it and it looked as though the space was quite limited. So how many more courts are they putting in and where are they going? Sure. They're expanding because it's, they, they don't have much room to play. Yeah, for sure. Actually. So they, so if you remember, you walk in and the glass court where the pro event takes place is immediately to your left behind the curtain, right? And then straight ahead yeah. was the court where the yeah. PSA TV folks set up. And then the courts, there's another court to the right. Then you go and there's a little open area. And then you go to the back and that's where the other courts were. That's what you remember. So now think right. when you walk in, yep. you look to your right that whole area has been blown out the whole wow so where the minis like the bar area was and the other glass the kind of side the time i was there they built a whole new bar area a new whole new expanded bar it wasn't there when i first got there it was done by the time i left and then far to the right of that whole wall area where like the pro shop was and all that stuff that's gone that wall is completely gone and there is now a whole new space monstrous space that has four pickleball courts and that is where the glass court wow. and the stands will be dropped for the Junior Worlds. You need to send on the the name of the construction company that are doing the work at this kind of rate because I think they're going to be in high demand after uh, this. Show. That's for sure. It's, it's just ridiculous. funny. And I don't know when they started because you're like, wow, I expected this stuff to be done by the time this tournament started. And then every day something new was built and something new was finished. It was pretty remarkable to see. And then Impressive. above the glass court where the men's is, there's going to be where the women's tournament took place above the show glass court, permanent glass court. There's going to be stands up there above the court now. They, those weren't ready yet, but you could look up there. So they're going on yes. to a second level. They're going on to oh, a wow. second Yes, level. absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I think when you go down, the J, there's another JCT, I think, in February that's going to coincide with the men's event, which will be a good test of capacity, right? Because you, as those JCTs are chock yeah. full of parents, kids, coaches, and then the men's gold event is going to be down there at the same time. So that'll be a good test of its capacity. So just very quickly before we move on, with regards to the space behind the court areas, has that all remained the same? The courts have stayed exactly where they are because when we had the JCT event, at times, if you had two, let's say, closely contested matches going on in in this junior event and they got quite busy with spectators, it made movement really difficult. Yeah, currently movement is still very difficult between the courts, but they have not built, put in. And so when you get down there, there'll be four additional courts, squash courts. So it'll be- They're doing doing some great things there, obviously. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. 14 courts in total, right? right? Um, What, did you end up playing pickleball? Uh, I ended up hitting, pickleball courts were just being finished. So I ended up picking up a racket and hitting. I didn't actually play because as being the MC of an event is a very difficult and very strenuous job. And there's not a lot. I don't know how you do it. Not a lot of of free time. There's not a lot of free time (laughs) for that kind of frivolities. I did watch some some people playing also. 
Yeah, between your warm ups, your cool downs, your workouts, there's food runs. The food, the food. It's pretty. I go down to Houston for the food. There just happens to be a squash event taking place. That's really what what it comes to at this point. (laughs) I hit some major food spots this year. Remember, Connor, our first year, we basically stuck to Strip Taco, which was the very shady place that was next to the hotel, which is still there. There, by the way. Chiquitas, Chiquitas, or what it changes was it? names every time. But you just—it's basically a a Tex-Mex Hooters, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm, yeah, just uncomfortable, true. weird, loud, and just not a fun place to be. So I did not go there once with, this time with an armed security guard to welcome you. Exactly the case. Yeah. So stay <laughs> just feel extra safe. So you feel extra special. Yeah. Strip Taco is what we—I I think it's called like Ola Taqueria and Barba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've colloquially yeah. named it Strip Taco for obvious reasons. Does that mean that's what you named it and you told everyone to refer to it as exactly such? Exactly the case. You know, branding's my strength, Connor. <laughs> you flex the muscle regardless if it's a strength. Exactly. No, that's the case. But while I was down there, Connor, I know you and I have gone to a couple barbecue places down there recommended by by some friends of ours that, that weren't great. They were just okay and we were a little disappointed. So this trip, my fourth trip to Houston in the last two years, I finally went to an authentic, real Texas barbecue place that really, uh, now I know what Texas barbecue is. It was called Henderson and Key, I think was the name. It was definitely Henderson and something. But like walking in, you walk in, there's like a general store. You don't even see a restaurant. It's like people, are, they're selling things and you're like, like, where's the restaurant? There's a few tables there. But you go to the back and order the barbecue and it was off the charts. By far, in a way, the best barbecue I have ever had in my life. Nothing even comes close. Just crazy good. That's yeah, great. Yeah. PJ, on your travels, is there any food that you try and uh, track down or what do you do for? for you mean when, I, when I'm back in the UK? Just in general, traveling with, with for all these events, do you try? And- back in the UK, I'm a, two of my favorite cuisines are Indian and Italian. And they are in abundance back in London. A lot of the chefs in these Indian restaurants have been imported in. It's these really cheap. You, from the outside, you probably wouldn't venture in unless you really knew what you were walking into but there's a lot of indian clients in there it's very <coughs> affordable there's no alcohol served there's one particular restaurant in london that i go to it's called lahore kebab house um, which is actually pakistani and Indi- like a pakistani and indian blend in actual fact jahangir khan used to go there after he played in the british open back in the late 80s early 90s and that was how i got introduced to the place i actually went there with my my folks my sister and my eldest niece and all five of us at all pretty much everything we could for about 65 dollars. Oh. oh wow unbelievable and the most tasty uh, foods that you could that you could ever hope for and then aside from that i'm a, I'm a massive ter- uh, italian fan so if i can find myself a decent italian then that would be fairly easily please i'm still yet to find a decent indian restaurant in the u.s uh, nowhere so when you're in houston pj for the jct if you go in february houston is chock full of really good indian restaurants that was something that impressed me about houston actually was the diversity of the oh, yeah. restaurants and the cuisines down there there was uh, like a, a chinatown there was like a almost like a little italy you had your barbecue restaurants so depending on what kind of cuisine you wanted you could go to a small area that would just be a mass yeah. of these kind of different styles of food it was the problem that i had was knowing which one to go to because there were there was so many rely rely on the locals for sure when i was down there in my six days down there i had uh, tibetan indian tex-mex barbecue and everything but italian basically 
and, and all kinds of shawarma. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I <laughs> ate really well down there. The other thing, back to the back to the courts there, as you remember, if, if you guys follow the online as I am and you see the criticism of that glass court there and the inability for fans to see the ball, and that's all you read about the whole time when that tournament was taking place. So right before the tournament started, of course, I think it came in on <laughs> like the 15th, the new floor came in for that court. They installed the new floor and installed the new front wall. And so it is not only is it like, like a good court to view the ball. Now it's probably could be one of the best on the PSA tour. And if the squash TV's full kit was there, I think you probably would have got a a better idea of it. Pretty incredible though. The transformation, not one complaint online that you could not see the ball so much so that the only complaint online is somebody complained because the netting that separates the out of bounds. So the ball doesn't fly out of the court. Somebody complained that the netting was white and they should make that dark colored. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something. Minuscule in the ground. Can't, yeah, can't as I said to, to one of the guys, the owners there, because it based on the racial diversity of that club, which is unparalleled of any club I've ever been in, I said the reason they did that, because at least one thing in the club needed to be white. Other than you as the token oh, white guy? I was guy. Uh, 100% I'm, I'm the token white MC, which is fine with me. Hey, I love all people that, Connor, all people love me. That's that's part, it's part of being Bill. Yeah. <laughs> so... Let's get into the meat of the tournament and Amanda Sobe making a run to the finals, but not enough to her rival of Noor El Tab when taking home the trophy. But talk about a little bit of matchups beforehand, what you saw on the Sure. The, yeah, we'll get to that match. Noor El Tayeb played on a different level than I've even seen her play on in the last few years, for sure. But leading up to it, the, the uh, couple matches that stuck out to me. Number one is uh, a young lady named Rhea Navani. As you guys know, I don't follow junior squash at all, but I guess she's a junior national team player for the United States. They gave her the wild card. And in the first round, she stopped Noor Albomakarim of Egypt. And Girls, she's 17 years old. It was her first ever gold level tournament, and she was looked like a pro out there. She was so calm, so collected. She was up two games to one, and then nine to three in the fourth, I believe it was, and lost in the fourth, and then came back and won the, the decider. Wasn't shaken at all. Where is she? She must have been a bit shaken to be nine three up and then somehow managed Oof. to lose. It's obviously a bit of a, a bit, of, bit of an experience issue yeah. there, possibly. But where does uh, she play out of? Because I'm, the name means West Coast. Yeah, West she plays Coast. in California. Yeah, she is. So she works Charlie, with Charlie Johnson. Works with Charlie. Yeah. I remember rightly. I've seen her play. Very, very skillful. skillful. Very skillful. A lot of hold. Lot and of from my point of view, her interview on court afterwards was one of the best interviews all week. She's like she's seven. Playing, playing on an international stage, as it were, and just so composed and so adult, the way she expressed herself and explained yeah. like how exciting it was for her to be there and how these are her idols, and now she's on court with him. And she ended up playing Whitlock in the next round and, and got, for lack of a better word, a bit curb-stomped by Whitlock, but still very gracious, composed herself. None of the junior antics that you see. Her mom was there, yeah, which I, I assume it was her mom. Total great composure. Just watch the match, appreciating appreciating the opportunity that, that that was presented for her daughter. So that was fun to watch. The other matchups matchup that was pretty incredible was Lucy Beecroft against Farida Mohammed, XEL player Lucy, now being coached part time by Simba, our friend Simba Mawadi in New York, teaching teaching her a new devastating backhand drop uh, that that Lucy tried and completed quite often. But yeah. played Farida in the in the tournament, and Farida has become for. <clears throat> Better or worse, the the Mustafa Asal of the women's tour at this point, right? She is pretty yeah. poorly behaved. She's chirping. Yeah. 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 
it seemed like every call that didn't go her way was suddenly like an injustice and what are you doing to me? Just not understanding any other point of view. But yeah, that, that's what I saw on the video. But what was that like? It was tough to watch because with the new directives that the, that the WSO, the, the refereeing associate, new refereeing organization is put is in place, the directive to keep the back talk and the questioning at bay made it such a more pleasurable tournament to watch. It was there was none of that nonsense. But every once in a while, a player would look up and ask for an explanation. But the referees and I was privy to some referee communications because of order of refereeing and stuff that I was included on emails. And there was notes every day in there saying, "Please stick to the directives to limit that stuff." And they certainly did, and it made a huge difference. It didn't take anything away from the sport at all, but it kept the matches going. Fans kept were engaged, and the only person who did not listen to that directive and follow it was Farida Mohammed. And she just chirped yeah. at every call, smashed her racket, slammed her racket outside the court, stomped off the court after matches, just after games. It was just, it was a, a combination of the worst of Asal and the worst of Mazen Hashem, w- mixed in with a little Marwan El Shabagi. Yeah, so yeah. It, 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 it was that. So th- yeah. those were the matches leading up to it. But the story of the tournament was Tayeb. If you guys wanted to watch some beautiful squash, I made sure that whenever she played, I would actually go into the arena instead of watching it on squash TV. Bless you, Connor. Bless you, Connor. No, Thanks. No, Thanks. No problem. I would make sure I went in and watched live just so I could appreciate it. Tell you what, she didn't miss. She did not make errors. She was so perfect every match. Amanda Sobe played a fantastic final, like a fantastic final. Yeah. And at some point, she probably was thinking to herself, we'd have to ask her, what do I need to do? She was hitting... Awesome shots, retrieving. Like, Mandit's fitness and movement right now is as good as I've ever seen it. And Tyabal is just relentless. Absolutely relentless. Her backhand volley her, her was off the chain, just absolutely off the charts. I, I, I watched that final, and that's just – you've got to remember that, what, three years ago, four years ago, uh, she was off the tour because she was pregnant having a baby. The, the turnaround <clears> – <throat> Is just absolutely ridiculous. The level that she's got back to, I don't know of any women in any sport that have regained such a level after uh, having a child. <laughs> the funny part I is, really PJ, don't... I was sitting for the final. I was sitting next to a woman. I, I, I don't know her name. And I don't know if you ever watch when Nord plays. She, a lot of times, lifts up the front of her shirt to wipe her face. So you see her abs. Yeah. And the woman sitting in front of me, I don't know if she's a huge squash fan or not, kept saying, Jesus Christ, she just had a baby. Look at those abs. She goes, I do, she said, I do Pilates like six times a week and I can't even come close to that. So, yeah. It's amazing. What she's done is, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And on her day, you've got to put her up there. I used to love watching Renee Mm -hmm. in her heyday. When you look at, I don't know how to explain this, they play a similar kind of a game to how, the guys play it's that the dynamic it's not your lob drop style of play there's a lot more attacking play there's dynamic movements there's a lot of variation a lot of hold some retrieving that she does it's you wouldn't call it necessarily ladylike at times it's just she, she's on a different level i think uh, with with shabini gohar hamami and herself i think you'd have to put those four up there with the best, certainly the best of this. Curious, era. curious, yeah. PJ, on the rules, and this is the thing that struck me. And again, not my place as the MC to, to bring this up to anyone. And if other people wanted to draw attention to it, they certainly could have. Is there a rule on the PSA tour about the number of coaches you could have come over to you between games? Like, it, I thought it was one. Yeah, it um, lends to the like the diversity of Houston that Amanda Sobe, an American, 
is playing with no coaches there. I think maybe during the early round, she might have had some like Olivia Fichter helping her or and, and maybe counseling her. She didn't really need it because she was running through the draw before that. But in the final, Noral Tayeb between games had no less than five people between games over in her corner, like yeah. yelling stuff to her in Arabic and while she was yelling back in Arabic. Who was in charge? Who was uh, the ref in charge? Yes, oh, it was Tamar, wasn't it? Tamar Ligari. Tamar Ligari. It's just such a it's such a tight, confined area that it's hard to say because the players yeah. where the players sit isn't so far removed from the actual stands that you could almost say like there are fans yeah. leaning over her, but there were people standing around her like giving her instructions while she was talking back to them and going back and forth on what to do pretty much uh, the whole match. And I was like, yeah. wow, I thought there was a rule about that, but may- maybe for a gold tournament there's not. I didn't know. Yeah, I wasn't there, but I know that Tamo, if he'd have seen that, he would have he would have yeah. stopped that straight away because, yeah, the current okay. ruling right. is one. Right. More from just from a TV perspective, it just looks cleaner rather than having a whole team of players, sorry, a team of coaches around a player during games. It just looks... It doesn't look very professional and it looks untidy, especially given that a lot of the referees now, you can't differentiate between them and just somebody regular sitting in the crowd. I think we could possibly tidy up that side of things a bit where, you know, you as a player, you delegate your coach who's going to come down to you in between games. They should have an official, maybe a coaching jersey on or a tracksuit, distinguishes who they are or, or what they're doing rather than just somebody walking up in just a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. I just think that looks a little bit unprofessional and a little I'm, bit untidy. When you yeah, I'm wondering if that has to do with the setup with the squash TV light, as they say, where there is really no cameras on the corners and things yeah. like that, and you're just showing the court. There's possibly an argument for that, but I don't see, I still feel that level of quality should be maintained regardless. If we if these events are being televised, I think the certain standards should be. Lastly on the Houston Open is the other person who stood out to me was Nada Abbas. So Nada Abbas, who lost her ranking due to a suspension last year and is now steadily climbing up. She was unseated in this tournament, made it to the semifinals where she lost a tough match to, 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 to Sobi. But in the meantime, she dropped Olivia Klein and she dropped Olivia Fichter in the in the second round and in the quarters. Tough to play an unseated player of that ilk, but just somebody to look forward to in future tournaments. Her play beside Amanda and Noel Tayeb, Nada Abbas was the third best player in the tournament by far. Yeah, eight years on tour. She's only Great. 23 now. She's reached eight finals. She's won seven of those, which is a phenomenal conversion mm-hmm. rate for her. She's only one meter 56. She's a real pocket rocket. You look at Tinkerbell, you look at El Arabi. She's only, she's like one, right. 160, I think. So she's coming in below, below that height. Love the way she plays. Very terrific mover, very quick around the court. One area I feel that she could possibly look to improve as she starts to now challenge some of these top players. For me, at times, with that attacking open style of play against somebody like Sobe, you could see how well she, she got picked off in the end because she went into the front of the court a little bit too soon with no real structure to the points. And eventually, she either lost the rally straight away or was made to do a lot of work off of the back of that open style. Against some of the other players, maybe she can get away with that, but if she's going to really start to trouble and test these top players, your top four, your top fives, if she can get a bit more of a sound foundation, better basic length and width hitting, closing the court down at times and being a little bit more patient with all the other additions and the uh, the, the ability that she's got within her game, then is she 19 in the world at the moment? The last 
few months you've seen quite a, a consistent climb back up the rankings so she's definitely top 10 potential within the next next 12 sure. to 18 months for me yeah when you look at when we were talking about the, the kickoff of the season and you're like hey it's hard to tell who will come out of the gates but she's clearly distinguishing herself as like during the off season everything's coming together she's clicking and she's above her her playing well above her ranking right now and i agree i think top 10 she's already at that caliber just needs the ranking to catch up and how far up she can go from there that's I don't know. I don't see her as a top five potential, but certainly deserved in the top. Yeah. 10. So what I noticed about uh, last thing on the Houston tournament, what I noticed watching is a lot of the young Egyptian girls don't vary their play depending on who their opponent is. They basically stick with their style. So they're, I don't know if they're not as well coached or whether they're not accepting the coaching. And when I saw Amanda play in the first second round, cause she got a buy against Georgia Adderley, she saw that Georgia doesn't move great. So Amanda offensively boasted her death. And just crushed her with ridiculously solid offensive boats. And then the next match, Amanda played Emily Whitlock, who Emily Whitlock's very good in the front of the court and very quick. Amanda didn't boast her. Amanda played her deep down the sides and crushed her that way. So it was stark where I watched the rest of the play, most of the players anyways, just stick to their strength and just basically try to bash the ball to the corners and try, or try to hit drop shots. They didn't mix it up based on who their opponent was. They just did exactly what they do. But that again is what separates the top four or five, Bill. If you look at, Tayeb, you look at Gohar, you look, actually Gohar plays pretty much one way, but she plays it so well that it's good enough to mm. beat the rest of the tour. But if you look at Hamami, El Shabini, the versatility they have within their different game styles is what separates them from the rest. They can apply whatever style of game is required depending on their opponent. Whereas I agree with what you're saying. For some of these, the kind of top 32 up to the top 16, they'll have a, a, a way that they like to play. And it's if that game plan is working with their particular opponent, then the chances are they're going to get a decent uh, result out of it. But when things aren't going their way, do they have that ability to adapt? And that sometimes is what can then create these, these improvement spurts when players do learn to figure that out. Okay, it's great to have this plan A, but I need to have a plan B, maybe even a plan C if that style of opponent is suited to the way that I'm playing. So this is, going back to what you're saying, definitely top 10 for <clears throat> for Abbas, but the potential there, if she can learn that side of the game, then with her athleticism and her, her movement and her retrieving abilities, then she, she could definitely get right. All right, there. so before we move on, to move on well, one more thing, Connor, well, just one more thing, one more Houston thing. I've got one more All right, Houston go ahead. thing. You go first then. So, Okay. Talking about El Tayab, and this was the first major tournament or the, the highest level tournament she's won in a long time. And you, you asked a very sweet question, which was, what does the Farag trophy room look like back there and adding more to it? And in her acceptance speech, you could tell there's there a little bit of nervousness. She hadn't done it in a while. She's, but it also shows like how humble she is and how she's f ferocious on court. But then when you get her talking, she's very sweet and very humble. What made you spark to ask that question? I had asked every other question that could be asked up until that point. <laughs> I was out of questions. It, it was the final. <laughs> I was out of questions. Noral Tayeb, and again, I'm a big Noral Tayeb fan. She is not a great interview. She's just not. Mm -hmm. I often root for the players to win who are going to be a better interview. So that's the only reason I would ever root against her is if I was emceeing and I needed to interview her because it is tough getting dragging words out of her for sure. So I figured that would be something that would be funny. 
she totally whiffed on the question and then picked up on it. Not that this is all about <laughs> you, Bill. Not that this tournament. <laughs> I do just want to defend the players somewhat here. Let's not forget that a lot of these players are actually speaking in a foreign language. 100% yeah. the case. 100% okay, the case. Okay, so I'm sure if you were to actually learn yes. some Arabic, Bill, yes. this would be a test. Yes. If you learn some Arabic, and I reckon you would actually probably struggle to okay. get her off of the mic. And that's something that, that these players, I don't think they're given enough credit for. You know, they have to come off. They're always speaking in English and they're being too, Also exhausted too, sometimes. I, I was a little tired. I wouldn't yeah. say I was exhausted. Is that what you mean? I was okay. I was okay. <laughs> so here's my pledge. Here's my pledge to you, PJ. If okay. I get invited to ever go back to blackball to MC, I will learn Arabic okay. before I go so I could ask some basic questions in Arabic. That's fine, but what I'm saying, to, <laughs> I would love, I would pay to see that happen. What I'm saying is, I think it's hard sometimes when certain players may not come across as well with their interviewing when we just take it for granted that because they speak in English, it's it comes natural for them and, and it's not their it's not their native. Yeah, I understand completely. I, I learn English better. What do you want me to say? Okay. Or I could learn, learn Arabic. Arabic. So my last, last Houston thing is I was able to, for the first time, step into the shoes of PJ, Paul Johnson. And at the, before those women's semis, there was a, a men's exhibition, both Gawad and um, Mazen Hashem are Houston, people who spend a lot of time in Houston. So they came down and did an exhibition. So not only PJ, did I get to introduce them and you'll be very proud of me. I I called him because it's in my head. I introduced him as Karim L. Abdel Gawad. So I used both. I was covered. Everything was covered. I came back and the PSA TV guys are like, his name's not El Gawad, right? I said, yes, I know. So I, co- I covered so both things. But then after, since my duties were then done in, until until the, the next day, I was able to sit in and do the commentary for the, it was not on PSA TV, but it was on the PSA YouTube's channel. So I did games okay. two, three, and four with, Game two with uh, Simon Park, game three with Tesney Evans, and then I did game four with Connor Sheen from from Squash TV. And and ah. how you find it? As Connor Sheen rightly pointed out, as I you know me, I speak off the t- shocking. I speak off the top of my head and said, "My God, this is so easy. I can't believe these guys make a big deal out of it." Connor Sheen rightly pointed out, "This is one match. It's an exhibition match. You don't have to sit through eight matches yeah. a day from round one through the end of the tournament." Thank you, Connor. Yeah, I'm so, glad Con- he's got my so, back. so Connor's got your back. So otherwise, I had a blast. And as I said to Simon Park, I said I don't think this pays up PJ's Ryder Cup bet from two years ago because you know an exhibition in Houston in September doesn't quite not the same as like the TOC in January in Grand Central. So I'm hoping that you'll still honor that bet, and I will be able to get on the comms. Listen, you've dipped your toe in. So yeah. You've had a taste yeah. of as to what it's Once like the yet. barrel's completely empty and they've scraped it yeah. and maybe they're hunting for another <laughs> barrel that's down the street. Definitely the case. Just know I, I didn't offend anyone. I did mention that Michael Absalon had gained some weight when Tesney asked me about emceeing. So I did say that and I bet it's... A, but then she said, who's that? <laughs> who's that exactly? <laughs> By the way, Tesney, her first time doing the comps was very good. A lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, I listened to Tesney. She was good. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of good tone, yep. good content. So I'm sure we're losing her again. She's a character. Yeah. I like she, Tesney. Yeah, she's she, great. She is a lot of fun. So that's like Houston. So by the way, there's the U.S. Open coming up. Do we want to talk about that or are we out of time? We can <laughs> okay. squeeze it in. You want to squeeze right. it in? Right. So U.S. Open coming up starts this Saturday. Opening rounds. PJ will be down there on the comms with Joey as always. I could, you know what? In the new Bill, where Bill's not going to talk this whole podcast. PJ, talk to us about the U.S. Open. Let's start with the men's draw. Ali Farag, number one. So you give us your thoughts on the open, the draws, and then let Connor talk. And then maybe if there's a few minutes left, I'll chime in. 
That'd be nice of you, Bill. I've, I've just had a bit of a, a scour through the uh, the US Open uh, draw. Very tough second round uh, for Ali Farag taking on uh, Kareem Abdelgawad. I know they played in Qatar and they had a, a bit of a humdinger there. First round, Gawad generally is not at his best. He, he generally takes a round or two to, to find his rhythm and his stride. But I think it's really hard to see past Farag again for this particular event. We don't want to keep going on about it, but the tour definitely does miss uh, Mustafa Sal a little bit, not just because of the the personality, but just because of the level that he, that he brings to the table as well. You, you look at what Farag's done over the last five, six events. Uh, he's had his moments of being troubled, but I don't think he's ever looked like losing. And I think if you throw an Asal into that mix, then you'll get a bit more of a, a bit more of a shake up. Tarek Moman's going to be taken on Tosuki in the second round. That's another uh, potential banana skin there for Tarek. They've got a pretty good record, just uh, around just 55, 45% win ratio in favour of, uh, of Tarek Moman, uh, which will be interesting there. El Shabagi will be looking to uh, improve his performance on Qatar. He, he lost out to Mazin in that, obviously, that rather bizarre ending in, in, at the end of that match. Paul Cole, he's got Mazzotti in his in his second round matchup, and he'll be taking on Mazen when they get through to the quarterfinal stages. I don't see anybody really troubling Elias in the bottom half of the draw until that semi-final stage, really, and that'll probably be between uh, Hisham and Cole. If it does get down to Elias and Farag, you just got to look at the win ratios in, in favour of Farag. Uh, I think it'll be a, another win for Farag, who will be probably looking to also put that the withdrawal last year behind him in that final. Um, he didn't win that because he had to pull out in terrible circumstances there for Farag. But I, I can see this run continuing from Farag, which is quite phenomenal. You just know the, Ma, the Mazin uh, Abdelgawad exhibition down in Houston. Hesham may or may not mo- have mocked El Shabagi's service return three or four times during that exhibition. That, so that wouldn't go oh, down well oh, with yeah. Mohammed, that's for sure. He'll, did, he'll did, did the referee yeah. refer to Hesham once or twice as Mr. El Shabagi because of that during the exhibition match? If it was, if the PSA would put the tape back up, we would know. Oh dear. Was it taken down because of the poor commentary, yeah. or do we not know why? That- <laughs> it's possible. Just know I have the link. So I have the link. You got the link. It's an unlisted yep. link. Yeah. So anyone that yep. wants it, just email Squash yeah. Radio at Gmail or send, we'll send go to hit my Venmo up and it'll be right. Oh, the link will be right there. Auto-populate. Yeah, the the top half of the draw is just totally stacked with the second round or round of 32 matchups are just unbelievable. I do think that despite the first round of Ali versus Goad, once he gets through that, it's actually not as challenging. It's hard to look past Ali's just dominance right now and I'm done betting against him, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that he's going to win this again. <laughs> I do, being on always on U.S. soil, but the fact that it's U.S. Open, I do try and look for where U.S. players can shine. And uh, Timmy Brownell, who's made such a, a, a great run at, at this in the years past, he's going to have a tough go. Getting to the round of 16 would be remarkable at this point yeah so i think ollie for the win in this one and i'm rooting for team usa which i'll say again for the women so for the men's i'm going to jump in on the men so the, the top of the as you talk about the top of this draw is just ridiculously stacked and the bottom of the draw is not that at all i'm looking at ollie's path and believe me to, to say that ollie's not going to win a platinum is these days is not anything that you take you say lightly so go in the second round 
most likely Ali Abuolainen in the third round. In the quarters, he's either going to take on Rodriguez, Kruin, or Solomon. In the semis, either Sherbagi or Momin or Dasuki. Doable for sure, but not easy at all. Meanwhile, we look down below and we see Diego Elias's draw. Second round, he's going to play either Ramit Tanden or Faraz Khan. Okay, that difference between him and Gawad, those two guys in Gawad, pretty stark, right? Third round, he's either going to play Cesar Salazar, Andrew Douglas, Nathan Lake, or Lucas Serm. Again, all solid players. None of them Ali Abulainen, right? Quarterfinals. He's either going to play Cole or he's going to play Marwan, most likely play Marwan. Finally, he gets a tough match in the quarters. And then the semis, he's going to play Cole or Hasham, one or the other. So a much easier early path for Elias, which is key for him, right? Because let's face it, he's not as fit as Ali. He, he doesn't take his training as serious as Ali. He may be as talented as Ali. And if he took his training as seriously, he may be have been the one who won two Platinums already this season. So I'm going to say, I'm going to make a prediction here. Bottom half of the draw is going to come out there. It's either going to be Call or Diego winning the U.S. Open. And I'm going to say Paul Call is going to win his first U.S. Open. Yeah. Ooh. So how's that for analysis, boys? That's pretty good. That's, Not going with defending champion. Diego could win this. I just I don't see where Ali's going to come out of those early rounds on skate. You, how do you so what, you think Mazanisham doesn't have no, a chance? No, I think they, I think they all have a chance. I think that's just it. I think they all have a yeah. chance, and I think whoever's going to come out of there yeah. is going to be so tested and ready to go. I just go with Call because of his fitness, and he's he's the last one who's affected by the grind, right? I would say Ali has despite the physical challenges he's gone through he still makes it through every one ramadan and the british open so i would have bet against him just i bet against him every time and i kept losing so now i'm just i'm betting i I think the gawad ali bulalainen this that as your second match and third match of the tournament ali bulalainen is playing very good squash and so to play those two people back to back and then you're like all right i've made it through those are quarters right playing those guys those are those should be quarters in most tournaments that's a second and third round. A Gwad matchup could be a semi. So that's the only reason. I, it has nothing to do with doubting Ali. It has more to do with the draw is just so stacked. So speaking of that, let's go to the women's where the draw for different reasons is stacked. And I'll leave this one off because I have, because you know what? I'm tired of hearing PJ talk. So we'll, no, I'll leave this one off only because this is what I've heard PJ and see if you've heard anything similar to this. So Noran Gohar is the number one seed, right? Uh, obviously, as we know, yeah. she's injured. So we saw in Qatar that she was injured. She has not withdrawn from this tournament. She withdrew from Houston. Her, If you follow her on Instagram, she's in a boot. She has not withdrawn. Word down the street has it that she is playing this tournament because she knows even with a bad plantar fasciitis or whatever her issue is, she could still make it to the third round in this event as the number one seed. And for rankings purposes, that's enough to keep Norel Sherbini within spitting distance when it comes to number one ranking in the world. It's, I, I don't know how much truth there is in that particular theory. She's got Tina Gillis possibly in the third round. Right. Tina was brilliant in Qatar. She had a massive uh, win there. She took down Joel King. That's not going to be necessarily straightforward. Um, Goha was clearly struggling with, with her movement in, in Qatar. Sure. Gillis, I understand. Gillis, she's going to struggle against. I'm saying, but she'll get to the... She'll get to the third round, though, with because she has a bye, right? So she'll win her second round match, and then she'll get to the round of 16, which ranking, which is enough ranking points supposedly to keep her. Again, I heard this from a person sitting three rows behind me in Houston who I don't know or don't know if they know anything about squash, so that's where I get my facts from. Yeah, reliable very source. Reliable, very reliable source. Yeah. I don't know enough about it, but I would be very surprised if that's the case because Noran Gohar, I would think, uh, has been around long enough to think bigger picture here. And- yeah. Uh, the fact that she's playing it with 
potentially making and the plantar fascia is only something that gets better with rest and it's not really you can't it's not an injury you can play through the, the fascia just becomes tighter well, and yeah, doctor, causing more, more doctor, doctor, doctor wrong, bill wants to wrong. jump in here and what we need to know is whether the plantar fasciitis is inflammatory type or whether she has a tear so the, i think that's the difference if it's inflammatory she could get away with it if it's a tear she may make it worse Thank you. Yeah. In, for, for me, the typical adage is no one match or tournament's worth a season. And yeah. I, I get the strategy. I, I don't disagree. I think her getting to um, the third round pretty much on a broken foot would be <laughs> – she could do against those players. But, yeah, I don't know why you'd risk it. You, just on top of that as well, Connor, not just the fact that she's playing the event, then you've also got to train beforehand. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very true. Yeah, you can't just wreck can, up can, a place. This could be playing to the last minute. What I mean, would be the what would be the purpose then of her not withdrawing? It is today. But the tournament starts Saturday, so she has not withdrawn at this point. So why is she waiting? She must think that she could possibly play her. Is there? There's no. If I withdraw on Friday, I don't get hurt any more than if I withdraw on Wednesday or Tuesday. I don't understand then. We can speculate all day. Possibly it's there are signs of improvement. It's feeling better day by day. She'll wait till the last minute before she makes a decision. None of us really know yeah. what, what the full situation is there. So, Ali was um, doing a little bit of this when he was testing his knee. And we were like, why hasn't he pulled out of the grasshopper? He showed up. He played. So. But what this does, this really tilts the draws, right? If she's if she shows up and plays oh, yeah. plays plays injured and really can't get past the second round and plays plays Gills in third, that this opens up that side of the draw for Amanda, doesn't it? This is Amanda's opportunity to make a U.S. Open final. Yeah, yeah. I think it opens up the draw for you get Nelle who can make a run. I like the matchup of Sabrina versus Nelle, but she could make a. She's been playing so well, can make a run to the quarter for sure. The quarters, if not the yeah, seconds. no. But if you look at Amanda's right now, Amanda's path is Olivia. She's going to play Olivia Klein, who not playing her best squash, so she should get by her. Her second round match more than likely is going to be Zayna Makawi, who she certainly can beat. And then depending on what Nella does, obviously she's looking at a quarter of either Victor King, both very tough players. Amanda especially struggles against Joel King. So that's not exactly like climbing Mount Everest to get to a U.S. Open final. There's some tough matches along the way, but typically when she's playing in a platinum, she's yeah. playing Gohar Hamami. Cherbini to, to win a platinum, and that's not this for sure. Nelly would also be yeah. there. No, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Who, do you who do you guys think are, is going to come out of that side of the draw? Then, if, if saying that Gohar is injured, if Gohar is injured, sorry, going Connor. Yeah, I think if Gohar is injured, I, 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 right now on form is in LA. I wouldn't back against Joel King. I wouldn't bet against Joel King. I think that Qatar for her wasn't her best performance, but I think that just with that experience and ability to seize an opportunity. She will take that with both hands and, and run with it. But it's the, the, the levels are so close on any, on any given day. Those The rest of the draw there are capable of beating one another. There's going to be a few shock uh, results in that. I hope you're right. Draw. I, I hope Joel makes a run sure. because with Sarah Jane Perry's level dropping off, if Joel's level drops off, that really is a bad sign for the women's game when it comes to tournaments like this because those are the two players that could always maybe get in there and have a t and give a tough match to the top Egyptians. So if they're both, Sarah Jane yeah. hasn't played well in quite some time, so I'm hoping Joel comes back and, and, re and really shows her old form for sure. So I was just looking at, at the bottom half of the women's draw, and I'm just going to read the names that are in the bottom half. So it's, a, it's pretty much a who's who of the PSA Tour. So we have, obviously, Sherbini, and then we have El Tayeb, El Hamami, Selmahani, Georgina Kennedy, Nada Abbas, who we talked about earlier, and Rowan El Arabi. 
That's a full draw in itself. That's a platinum draw in itself, exactly. Yeah. That's that, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at Sherbini's path, she's going to play Sana Ibrahim in the second round. A win, right? Her third round match is going to be Nada Abbas. Not going to be easy on a glass court playing a Nada Abbas, for sure. So that's a tough draw. And then in the quarters, it's either going to be El Arabi or Kennedy. And then in the semis, Taya Verhel Hamami, most likely. That is a draw and a half for her compared to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. That's a really tough draw for Shibeti. Really so, tough draw. That's why it's called luck in that the is, draw. That is why. The other player that I'm, and we talked about her early, is Farida Muhammad. For all her histrionics, she's still a very good player, right? And she's physically one of those players who could keep up with the top players in the game because she's physically very strong. So, do, do you see her making any kind of any kind of uh, move in this event? I think the refereeing will be extremely strict and tight at this U.S. Open. I think if it's on the glass court, the the better players, the top players, will be able to expose the movement. They won't get involved in all of the shenanigans that that go down with Farida Mohammed. I think Farida is probably a lot more effective on your traditional style courts where the balls can tend to move more into the middle of the court. They can sit up off the back wall and pop out on through the side walls, whereas the glass court is, is much more rewarding for the purer ball striker and the, and the better players. She's certainly a player that no female player likes to play yeah. on tour. Every single player that I know that goes up against Farida Mohammed really doesn't enjoy it for a number of reasons. Obviously, because there's no rhythm to the game. She's, it's very make or break. She goes for it regardless. And then at times, if there's an opportunity for her to take some excessive space, that she does. And it's, an, it's an area and an aspect of a game that will need to improve and, and get better. Otherwise, she will end up going down the same route as Mustafa with uh, some bans and some, some penalties heading her way. Two, two, two questions. One on Fruit. Do you think that's, that seems to be just more of a factor of her coming up through the ranks and you just don't get as much glass court time versus a, a capability perspective? Um, and then have a refereeing question, but what are your thoughts on that? I think a little bit of it, a little bit of it is the, the lack of court time on the glass court, but they will have access to glass courts and those similar kind of conditions over in Egypt. So I wouldn't say that's the main reason. For me, it's a bit more of a, a lack of confidence in her actual fitness and her, and her movement. So she has to use some of those histrionics to to level the playing field and make life really difficult for her opponents. I think if she can get herself a bit fitter, quicker, stronger and agile, she won't have to rely on that side of the game so much and will end up working in her favour. I think sometimes you get these players who they can utilise everything within their grasp to, to find a way to win. And if they're not fully confident in how long they can last and you know, how how they can keep pushing and, and going physically, then for me, that's when you tend to see more this. Question this on Farida and sources, I will say sources close to squash radio. She's a full-time college student at Columbia. Sources close yeah. to squash radio indicate that she possibly might not play college squash this year and just focus full-time on the PSA tour. Obviously, that'll change things, right? That'll change her fitness. That'll change her glass court because she, she won't be practicing with Columbia every day. She'll be full-time on the tour. Yeah, 100%. That's assuming she finds a good team to work with and she needs players and coaches and mentors around her who are aware of her strengths and her weaknesses and those particular areas of her game that do need to get tidied up. She is a talent. You can't ignore that fact. So if she can 
sort out some of those particular deficiencies in her game right now, then she is going to be a handful because she has a presence on the court. She has very good hands. She's skillful. And if she can get herself into peak physical condition, then I think she's going to pose a lot of problems. The fact that she's going to go pro will will be if a game that, If that happens, just know my sources on both the Gohar injury and the Hamam, and the Frida Mohammed news three rows behind me at the Houston Open. So they sounded like they knew what they were talking about. Okay. I'm Thank not going to question you, Bill. So the other question I had for you, PJ, was about the new directives with the refereeing, the WSO, and where that's going. And what's this is pretty still this is early on the season, but I think we can clearly see a different path that the refereeing are taking and the PSA. What are your thoughts on this direction, both in the direction it's going as well as then the execution? I'm a huge fan. I think it, as as uh, Bill said, the if you're sitting there as a non squash fan right the way through the board up to the purists. There are certain men's matches and women's matches. And I'll admit now I've had to turn off because of the debacle that's going on the court, the back and forth between the referees, the tone that the players speak to the referees and, and manner in which some of the players have behaved. In my, in my opinion, is it's unacceptable if we're trying to televise our sport and grow it to a wider audience. If people are coming in to watch squash for the first time and they see the, the interaction between both the ref and players, it, it at times is extremely condescending, very rude and, and uncalled for. So the, the, this new directive has already started to tidy up some of these potential situations unfolding on the court. However, at the moment, I still feel the referees are not entirely confident with what they're doing and what they're saying and the manner in which it comes across, I feel is also quite rude and condescending yeah. towards the players. So I, I think once they get their tone and their manner right, I've just been watching the, the Rugby World Cup, for example, and if you watch the way that some of these referees handle situations with these uh, six foot eight absolute monsters and the respect that they're given from the players on the pitch is uh, a real example of how this can be done and I think if it's done in the right way I think it's going to be a massive plus and added advantage for our sport. Like what would be a recommendation and one that jumps to mind was I think it was the Amanda Sobe versus Gohan match and early on you could see the referee setting a tone of I'm not going to take any talk back and it felt actually a little harsh I, again I like cut it off early set the tone but I agree it was harsh. What do you think is a better way that a referee could communicate that? Of, hey, I'm in control of the match. I'm not going to take that. I'm letting you know where I stand. And you should get a conduct warning, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think certain conduct warnings have been handed out um, a little bit too, a little bit quickly, too soon. And there are also times where other players have continued to, to, to carry on. They've carried on while the match is going on and they haven't been penalised. As I said previously, Sometimes I'm, I don't think the referees are 100% confident in their delivery. So it, it may be a bit more experience of being in those situations, maybe watching back and listening to the tone in which it comes across. I feel they can maybe learn from that and improve on that. And it's, I, I sympathise with them because it's so hard. They're sitting there at times in very awkward positions, trying to referee in very tense circumstances, and there's a lot of pressure. All eyes are on them when a the decision's there to be made. So sometimes that you can you sense that knee jerk reaction, and they're very they can get very defensive very quickly. 
with a bit more time and experience and familiarity with those kind of scenarios, I think. Do you think we should just go to giving refs the the five or ten lines that they can say and that's all they say? It's not just about the lines that they say, Connor. I think it's the way in which they're delivered. It's it's not just what you said. Yeah, it's not just what you said. It's how you said it. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly that. I think the referees, sometimes if the terminology that they use, I agree with. Mm-hmm. But the manner in which it's delivered across, it comes across the wrong way. There's there's different ways of saying the same thing. Sure. Um, I think you're right on the confidence thing. This is new terrain. There's not as practice behind it. And I think as we go around the world, and because I know that the PSA is trying to consolidate this, that it's more similar referees doing it. But it's just hard with the pool and the places that we play. We can't f- currently fly everyone around everywhere. Yeah. I think it's going to take a season to really shake this out. Listen, we're, we're heading in the right direction. We've got two full-time paid referees now, Andrea Santamaria, Roy Gingell, who are uh, setting the precedent for these up-and-coming referees. We had Damon Green out in uh, Qatar, who's, who's, for me, is another world-class referee, along with Jason Foster, who, for me, his man management is the best in the business right now. Um, whether that comes from his work experience as a police officer, I, I don't know, and how he knows how to deal with people in, in tough situations. I'm not sure whether that's a, a bit of a, a natural um, advantage for him. I'm not sure. But where the way in which he's heading, I think it's we're, we're slowly starting to see a, an improvement throughout the sport. And we're not having these silly arguments with the petty arguments with the referees and now we, it's been in for a couple of events the players are becoming more aware of it so yeah. they're behaving in accordance with this new directive again it's baby steps but it's certainly showing some encouraging signs of, of so pj following up on that we talked about this a few episodes ago you were starting the path to becoming a referee could you tell us where you are with that and the progress on that I'm in the same position I was when you when you last asked me. I've just become so busy with uh, things uh, back in the UK, and I haven't had an opportunity to further the the qualification uh, aspects of the the refereeing. I will be looking to go and do, as I said in the previous podcast, a few local events, and that's great. Hoping to get some experience at, at that level, but I will keep you posted. We're okay. we're still working on it. Um, Good for you, man. So, all right, so, all right. so, Con- yeah. so Connor, your comment that PJ was walking the walk, do we want to still say that or is like walk that back a little? Like what's I mean, the deal there? Crawling, crawling the, the walk. walk, let's do that. Crawling the walk, okay. Crawling the crawl. I'm happy. I'm, I don't mind that from you, Connor. You know? If you'd have said it, Bill, I'd have been offended. <laughs> yeah, no, he's also setting the tone. What are the other it's ex-pros the that are doing it, Bill? It's not you, Connor, it's me. All right, boys. All right. Good stuff, Look forward guys. to seeing everyone in Philly. Connor, will we see you in Philly? Yeah, I'm going towards the later yeah. stages, either that Thursday or Friday, getting uh, into town. Right. Turning up fashionably late. Yeah, the re- always. expect the full red carpet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. That's don't the only worry. time the limousine could show up. It's yeah. a tough one. Well, Guys, we'll see you in that. Philly. Yeah. See ya. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.